The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. It's Patrick Bexel. It's a full crew because we need a full crew to get through all the cuts that was made yesterday, late on Saturday night. Um, some big names going the way we maybe didn't expect some big names going the way we did expect. But anyways, I'm here. We got Matt Drake watching NFL on in the morning. Yeah, it's it's nice to have football this early uh, at my time. I'm in Atlantic time, so usually I got to wait a little bit. It's around 2 p.m. before it gets started, but bright and early this morning. It's beautiful. And obviously we have... Anton Rossegord, who is waiting for the big football game between Hammarby and IFK of Gothenburg, obviously. Yeah, I'm actually working this NFL game now. So, uh, yeah. So I have to do that first, and then I can watch the, uh, well, the European-style football. Indeed. And Jared just returned home from uh, kindergarten or play play plaything or whatnot. Oh, just just went over breakfast. But I, I just want to say that, that Pat was on the ball. He's like, we need to have a podcast for the cuts and and i'm the one who was saying oh no it's not there's not going to be any big names there's not going to be any surprises uh we don't need to be prepared and and sure enough um i was i was very wrong Let, let's start with the with the biggest cut maybe or, or the most unexpected cut matt joshua Roy. are you having your flag on half post today i mean yeah i'm i'm a little bit irked by that one i i thought that he'd played well enough to earn himself a longer look at camp. I thought he played well enough at least to be one of the last cuts if he was going to get cut at all. Um, what we saw in the two preseason games that he played was a player who clearly is capable of, of playing NHL games this season. Uh, now, I don't think him being cut is necessarily uh, a proclamation that he's not going to play any NHL games this year. I think, you know, with the way he's been playing, if he continues that level of play with Laval, uh, I think he'll put himself very quickly at the top, if not, the very top of the call-up list, you know, when, if, and when injuries happen, but it, it was still a little bit disappointing to me. I would like to see him at least in one more game. And I've been beating this drum all throughout the preseason and camp is try him on the wing with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. I'm not saying that you need to do it for the entire season and put him there as of game one on the opening night, but just try it out and see if it works because they've still been experimenting with a number of different players. I think so far the best look they've had is probably Alex Newhook. I don't know if everybody else agrees with that or not, but I would say for my money, Alex Newhook has looked the best uh, as the third on that line. But I really think Joshua Wack could be the guy of the future. And maybe that's going to be a year or two years down the road, but why not test it out now while you're experimenting with different options for those two? So it was disappointing for me to see them send him down. I don't think it's the end of the world, but um, yeah, it was, it was a bit tough for me to see that happen so early. Another player, Owen Beck, we did expect this, though, but going back to juniors, Jared, 
Yeah, I, I, I think the biggest surprise with both of those players, I, I mean, we knew it was a long shot for either one of them, but but the, the big surprise for me was was the timing of it. And, and yes, there's only two preseason games left. Uh, I think that's a factor. But but also, I, I, I think that last year, you know, a lot of people accused them of just like not making a decision on Slavkowski, right? Like they were just like waiting and waiting and waiting and, you know, are they going to put him to the AHL? And then he ends up getting hurt. This year they're they're just not messing around. Like like you know, oh. sending Reinbacher right back to, to Switzerland, uh, you know, Beck going back to junior and Beck is probably the most surprising because they can't call him back up, right? He's in junior for the year now. And and why, you know, you know, he can be called up in the second game of the season if if somebody gets hurt. Um but yeah, I, I think the the big surprise is that the timing, but then also you factor in that there's only two preseason games left and they hadn't made any cuts yet. Uh, so maybe that's what the the mental side of it is. Just that the timing seems off for a lot of people, um, but we have to realize that there's only two games left uh, until the season starts, and uh, it's it, it comes really fast. We also have to remember that the Laval season starts in two weeks, and Jean Francois wants to obviously get to know his players. So there is a reason for him to get uh, his roster going as soon as possible because. Right now, the Habs are really in developmental mode. Now it's not only about drafting new players. Now it's about developing the young guys you already have, who are now 20, 21, 22, 23. And obviously, you already have a roster of NHL guys who you want to maybe move on from in a year or two. But you want these young guys to take their spot. And to do that, they need to feature heavily. You don't want them to just come in and play a bottom six role Mm. uh, in the NHL. You want them to play heavy minutes, to be able to develop and make mistakes in the AHL before they make them in the NHL. And obviously, I I think it's the right decision to just basically kill your darlings here and now and let them develop in their time. Like, I think it was someone uh, mentioning this in our internal chat, like, Owen Beck obviously is probably too good for the OHL right now, but Nick Suzuki was an extra year in the OHL and he turned out all right. So, for example, like there is always a lot to work on when you are this, you know, this young guy and guys like Joshua Roy, Riley Kidney, all of these guys, um, they will develop probably more. Sean Farrell is another one, develop more from having a big role in Laval uh, and then getting called up then to start the season in the NHL. We also that saw this, that we it's, also it's, saw that the uh, they they cut everyone that didn't need waivers more or less sure. in order to, <laughs> to make sure that yeah. everyone know is treated the same way and also you're going back to the drawing table as you said Anton to develop properly yeah yeah and and like the Habs have sorry the language excuse the language but fucked up uh, development a lot of times before. So like this way, you actually, you, you want to be good in three years. And to do that, you have to have patience. Even if I would have loved seeing Joshua Roy, for example, have a breakout season playing 75 games in the NHL and, and you know, scoring 35 points, uh, that would be great. But I would rather that he is in it for the long run and doesn't just burn out like Jesperi Kotkaniemi did with the Habs. Yeah, and all of that makes sense. Like the the Laval roster construction in general, wanting to get a, a head start on that, like you said, with the games coming up pretty quickly. But that's where with Owen Beck, it's kind of an odd decision to send him back so early because what's the rush, right? We know 
that he's probably, as you said, too good for the OHL at this point. Is that a problem for him to go back to the OHL? No, everybody always expected that to be the case this season anyways. And then he'll get um, at the World Juniors, he's probably going to get significant minutes for Team Canada after coming in last year as a late replacement. I, I don't see a universe where they don't give him a much bigger role uh, this time around. But that being said, the, the Habs, there was, there was no rush. They could have held on to him and given him at least one more game, and uh, he would have benefited from that experience, I think. So I think, you know, the the whole Laval situation, it, it makes sense to start that a little bit earlier. But then Owen Beck, where does that leave him? Because he could never go there anyways. Why not hold on to him, give him an extra but, game? But it comes down yes. to, but it comes down to, to managing the number of contracts and players opening night along with the fact that um, you need someone to clear waivers. He doesn't need waivers. You you clear him yeah. at the same yeah. time when all the other teams does because no one has any more spots. Yeah, no, but, but I, opening, opening night is October 11th. You, you got plenty of time to deal with your contract situation before that happens. You still could have given Owen Beck the one game. It's not hurting him in the slightest. If anything, it's just benefiting him with that extra level of experience. But he's already, already played. He's already played in two preseason games. There are only two. He's games played in a regular left. season NHL game too. No, yeah. no, but I, I mean, he, there's, there's no, there's no reason to keep him around. It's no, I was going to say that. Bodies. Yeah, exactly. It, because that, you know, even if he plays one more game, if he plays one more game, yeah. But but you, this is the point of the preseason where you want to get your lines. Like we don't even know what the lines are going to look like yet. I'm sure Martin Saint Louis has an idea, but we probably haven't seen them play together. Uh, and and that's what you really want to focus on these last two games. Mm. I, I think that's because we're we're looking at this we're looking at this through the lens of these are the first round of cuts, which they are, but it's also two preseason games left. Like it, it's it's a weird structure of camp that we're not used to, uh, and I think that that's a that that's a, a difference as well. But but go go back to what Anton said about Laval. They've lost like I think close to a thousand games in AHL experience. Between Alex Belzil, Anthony Richard, Corey Schooneman, um, you know, if you if you factor in you know, Raphael Harvey Pernard, uh, you know, maybe Jesse Ulinen, there's a lot of guys that that have a lot of AHL experience, you know, and this gets them, you know, like Anton said, you know, two preseason games, and and that they need Laval to be good this year, and yeah. you look at their start last year, you know, they lose. The, the their first game of the season in overtime they lose the second game of the season they only won two of their 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 games in October two of their eight games uh in October uh, and I think that that's that's a factor right they they barely made the playoffs uh a year ago uh and they had to play in the playing round and you know they can't afford to have a, a bad a bad start and there's so much turnover I I, I kind of like the Canadians just not messing around. Right, like we've seen them hang on to guys near the end of camp. You know, they did it with Joshua Wall last year. He was around till the very end. Uh, they did it with Brendan Gallagher uh, in his first year when he was eighteen, uh, before sending him back to junior. And, and I think that there's, or maybe it was his second year when he was nineteen. Uh, but but either way, they they took them to the end of camp, and I just like that they're not messing around. Like, like they could have kept on uh, having around David Reinbacher for for another week, and and they didn't. And and I think that this is. I like that they're not messing around. I like that they're like sure in their decisions. They're like, no, we're not letting what we saw affect our decision making. Uh, we know what we're doing. We know we had a plan for them. Uh, let them go to Laval, learn. You know, they're going to be getting big minutes in in Laval, right? Joshua Wa, uh, Sean Farrell, like th- that's that's probably their top line. You know, uh, and and you know, like you mentioned it, uh, getting prepared and sorting things out, Jared. But 
you, you also learned from the mistakes with Norlinder and Heinemann that got injured very late and then had troubles coming back into <laughs> That's the why rosters keep, in Europe. Keep, right. Keeping them again what, what, this year. What, 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 if, what, if Owen Beck, what if Owen Beck gets hurt in the, the preseason game he plays on Monday? And then he misses the first part of his junior season. Right? Oh, like, come on now, though. No, we can't, it, yeah. it, like Pat said, it happened with Norlinder and Heinemann in back-to-back years. Like It's not I like know. it's that outlandish a situation. Well, what no, if but, hockey's a dangerous sport? Yeah, right? I, I mean, I, like, what I if hockey's a dangerous sport? No, but, but you, you're going right about the wrong way. I'm saying like they had trouble getting back into the lineup. Owen Beck will yeah. not have trouble getting back into the lineup in, in the OHL. No, and that that, that Reinbacher makes... might struggle with an injury and getting back into the National League, especially with the way Clawson is 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 in the standings right now. No, but it's also like with Owen Beck as an example. You already made the decision that he's not going to make the team this year because he he's not like you have twelve or thirteen guys who are contract bound, and you can't just send them out on waivers uh, to to just throw a young guy into the fire. So you've already made the decision pretty early, probably, that, well, since we can't send him to the AHL, we're going to send him back to the OHL. The OHL season has already started. Peterborough has uh, played Kingston and Ottawa. They're playing Sudbury the 5th of October. So why not send him back now? Like, he can, he's going to play the year in, in the OHL regardless. He has gotten a taste now of NHL preseason minutes for two seasons in a row. He already made his debut last year. Great. He takes valuable experience with him back to the OHL, the Habs and Adam Nicholas and all these, you know, um, individual development guys. They tell him what he needs to work on this year because he's already one of those guys that is too good for the junior leagues, but he's not available to play in the uh, AHL yet. So great. There is no reason to keep him around. Uh, so I don't like what what would he gain in experience just by playing, you know, 15 more minutes uh, in preseason against, well, mostly probably AHL guys, AHL opponents. I don't think it's enough compared to what he will, you know, go back to Peterborough and just be a leader on that team for an entire season from the get go. That's where I got to jump in, though, because yeah. it's not going to be mostly AHL guys anymore. Other teams are making cuts, too. You give him that one more game, he's going to be like the competition's going to stiffen a little bit towards the end of the preseason. It's going to be closer to an NHL roster that you're playing against. It gives him, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's 12 minutes, whether it's 10 minutes, irrelevant. You, he's going to get a chance in one of those games as other teams start to trim down their camp rosters as well to really see where am I at, right? What do I need to improve upon? It's, it, it's a learning experience. And I, I just think... I just think if they had given him that one last shot, like I, I bet you any money we go to tomorrow's game against uh, Toronto. So far, we haven't seen Matthews. We haven't seen Marner. We haven't seen John Tavares. Some of those guys are going to be in tomorrow against the Habs. And you might have had a chance to give Owen Beck, you know, and maybe this is, you know, th- throwing somebody into the fire a little bit. But at the end of the day, he gets a chance to go up against a guy like John Tavares a couple of times. I think there's a lot of value in that. But, but, but I think the Canadians have really hard decisions to make at forward, right? Like one of, at least one of, Leas Anderson, Yul Armia, uh, Raphael Harvey-Pernard, Emil Heinemann, uh, Michael Pazetta, Jesse Ullinen will not be in the lineup opening night. At least one of them. And we yeah. don't know which one that is. And some of them need waivers to go down. Like they need to make decisions on which players are going to be on that fourth line, which players are going to be scratches, which players they're going to, Exactly. So those guys, they need to play those guys yes, more than exactly. they need to play Owen Beck. Because and, and Owen I understand Beck, what well, you're saying. 
Owen Beck will get his minutes. He will get his minutes next year to develop, and he will get probably significant game time in the AHL as well. Uh, if he doesn't develop like just enormously and just makes the team out of camp, he will probably go the same route as Joshua Hua, Sean Farrell, Riley Kidney, all of these guys do now. But as Jared just said, like there are a ton of guys who are fringe NHL players at this time, at this point, and they need to prove themselves if they are going to be number eight in the lineup or number 12 in the lineup or number 14 in the lineup, or if they're going to get sent down to the AHL, they need those minutes more than Owen Beck at present. And and let's, let's leave this discussion a little bit because Matt touched on something very, very interesting. One of the, um, Exclamation marks in camp has really been Logan Mayu. Um, he was really bad in the first game, got a little bit better, but he's gotten better with every game and with less hero complex and playing a smarter, easier game as a defender. Um, it will be very interesting to see him face Tavares, Matthews, and Marner uh, mm-hmm. coming up, though. Wouldn't Matt? It really would, um, because I think he hit the nail on the head there. The one thing that I've noticed more than anything is he's a lot more reserved in this camp than you would have seen him uh, with his junior style of play. In junior, when he was with London, you know, when he winds up behind his own net and starts to go, you could bet your house on the fact that he's going to try to go end to end. And a lot of the times he'd run himself right into trouble. So he'll skate directly into a defender and kind of just end the threat. So you'll get this wow factor skating up the ice. And then as soon as he crosses the blue line, he runs into a defender. He's not doing any of that at camp so far with the Habs. He's using his legs to get out of the zone, and then he's playing off of his teammates. He had in the, the preseason game, I want to say, was it against the Devils? He had a really nice exchange with Uri Slavkovsky where he ended up getting in and getting a shot, or not a shot on goal, but he came around behind the net and threw it out into the slot uh, for, for a decent scoring chance. And that more reserved nature, I think, is something that he's learning clearly from camp because he was not learning that in London. In London, he had the green light to go whenever he wanted to. I think the Habs coaches have been able to rein that in a little bit. And now his athletic abilities are being able to shine a little bit more because he's not trying those ridiculous hero puck plays. And, you know, there's still definitely some warts in the defensive zone, um, but you're never going to turn him into a, <clears throat> a guy that stands in front of the net and, and you know, blocks a bunch of shots like a, a Ben Sherrod or something. He's never going to be that player. He's always going to be a guy that's a little bit more offensive minded. The whole game for the Habs has to be, how do you put him in a position where his athletic abilities are going to be able to shine? I think so far they've been able to do that pretty well. And um, I, I, I am, however, a little bit surprised that he's still at main camp. I would have thought that he would have been right there with Joshua Hua down to the, the rocket because uh, I do think when there's full NHL lineups out there, those defensive zone issues are going to become increasingly problematic when it comes to Mayu. So I, I agree a hundred percent. I'd love to see if he can get out for that game tomorrow and let's see how, how much have you been able to coach him up so far? How can he stay as reserved when he's up against some of the best players in the world? Yeah. Logan Mayu for me has been one of the players that has improved the most over this preseason. Like that he's, he's learned already a little bit what he can and can do and has already put that into practice, right? Like, the, the game against the Devils, I, I there were a couple of times when he went like one on four, and and the puck went back the other yeah. way, and and uh, you know in in the game against uh, the game against Toronto, uh, his last one I think on Friday night, uh, he he wasn't doing those plays anymore. He he was being more, um, you know, smarter with the puck, smarter with his decision making, and and you know the the improvement over just a few preseason games uh, has been a lot 
better than I was expecting. Um, because like, like Matt mentioned, like he, he's been playing that way for, for years, right? Like, um, especially all, you know, all last year in London, he was just basically, I'm going to do everything myself. Um, and, and I think that that's, um, a testament to him that he's, he's learned kind of how to, um, how to make those changes really quickly. And, and that's why he's still, he's still in camp is that, you know, if he can, if he can rein that in and still kind of show a little bit of those abilities, um, it's very interesting. And, and I think that he's someone he's like, he spent half a year, <laughs> two years ago, uh, just practicing, right? Like he, yeah. he, he was suspended for half a year. Uh, he's been hurt. He's been rehabbing. He just needs games, right? Like they, they can play him on Monday night, send him back to the rocket afterwards, and he can get two preseason games with the rocket. Um, and, and, and really be able to, to, to play games because I, I don't think he needs practice. Like he doesn't need to be there on Monday, uh, in Laval and and do another practice, right? He's been doing that in rookie camp. He's been doing that uh, through training camp. Uh, I, I think there's more value in him, for him specifically to get those game reps, especially against what should be a really good lineup in Toronto. Uh, I would expect that he he plays in that game. I would expect that Matthias Norlander plays in that game because I, I think that you need to see what they can do. And not only for opening night, I, I think they're both long shots for opening night. But I think that they, you need to see, hey, if a defenseman goes down and we need to call somebody up, who can we trust in Laval? I think they already know they can trust William Trudeau. Yeah. Who else can yeah. they trust? Um, Norlander could be that kind of um, power play defender that uh, Eric Gustafsson sort of was brought in to be and Chris Wideman has, has been as well. But uh, he he's used to run a power play in the SHL, arguably with a bigger eye surface. But... If he gets things going, he has the speed. He knows he's played with one of the top European power plays. He should be able to bring some knowledge into the power play um, options as well because it certainly seems like Barrows isn't. Um, what do you think about that, Anton, with with uh, um, a Swede on the blue line again on the power play? No, that would be great. Like uh, I was going to say, like Matthias Norlinder has been a great, uh, great story because he was basically written off. I remember when we did the uh, top twenty-five just, just a couple of weeks back, and uh, we were basically you make a top twenty-five. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. He was down in the thirties, right? If I don't remember 32? correctly, Could it 30, yeah, something like that. T uh, twenty-five. I'm going to check here, but he was up at fourth position at one point right so he was one of our most uh well we, we were very hopeful for his development and obviously both you know derailed um his career has been derailed by injuries and not uh, really finding his role last season in laval but he was saying to me when when i was talking to him back in april that all he needed last year was basically minutes and he was disappointed with himself as well that he didn't really find the offensive um output that he wanted to like and those kind of like um his his rushing ability and his uh, ability to basically see the see the whole field and find the outlet passes and all that um this year he was 31st on the uh, top 25 i had him at 36th for example i had basically given up on him and now he looks like someone who could actually get a chance in the nhl this season barring injuries basically um but, but it's great. Like if he ends up being that kind of gadgety Eric Gustafsson player, then, you know, there are teams that pay quite a bit of, uh, of uh, draft capital and, and assets for that kind of player if they uh, are going for a playoff push. So 
if it ends up being in Montreal or somewhere else, I mean, he's already 23, but it's just great to see his development back on track and that he plays with more confidence than he did last year. Jan Mishek was kind of the same, like they were in the same role uh, last year where they didn't really make that sort of impact in Laval that you would maybe hope for, especially points-wise. But they both look considerably better in the preseason here. So maybe if they get sent down with, well, Mishak has already been and, and Norliner will probably be sent down. Um, I expect them to uh, have a better season in Laval this year. Yeah, and Modo yeah, won't for, need Norlander. Modo Norlander won't need Norlander because Norlander Modo is you know third in the standings in SHL. Mm. <laughs> Norlander is trying things. And, and I yeah. think that's the one thing he wasn't doing in Laval. And he mentioned it himself. Like he spoke after the, the red white scrimmage where he was like, yeah, you know, like the one thing I've learned the most is how to use my speed with the small ice. And, and, you know, there has to be a certain amount of risk to his game, right? Like you, you know, like Logan, we talked about Logan Mayu and I think there's a good comparison there because Logan Mayu, even though he's being more reserved, he's still showing those, those, he's still trying things right? They haven't clipped his wings completely. And Norlander, I think that he, because of the way that he was handled, uh, being pushed into the NHL when, you know, he wasn't ready, being pushed to the AHL when he didn't know he could even play in the AHL um, right after being injured in the preseason. I, I think that he's he he's basically been trying to learn how to swim while avoiding how to drown. And I think that now mm. he's finally starting to be able to try things and not just be in survival mode all the time. And I think that that's something that he's, he's kind of gotten to his head that, that he can do again. And if he can bring that back to Laval, we're going to see a very, very different um, Matthias Norlander Laval because he's, he's doing things in the NHL preseason that he didn't do. You know, you watch highlights of his time in Europe and, you know, he's doing these dangles and like going through guys and, and you really didn't see that. In, in Laval at all. And, and I think, yes, so part of that is the competition. Part of that is the, the smaller ice. But also I think a lot of it is just he doesn't have the confidence to do that. And, you know, he's kind of scared that if he does try that, uh, he'll be benched for the rest of the season. Um, so so I think that him trying things is, is, is a big reason why he's been so successful. And I think he understands that too. I think he's learned that. And, and I'm, I'm really happy for him because uh, he, he's a guy, he's easy to cheer for, right? Pat, Pat knows him, Anton is talk, talking to him. He's just a, a, an easy guy to cheer for. And, yeah. and I think that he's you know, he's finally getting it. He finally understands it. And and I think that's a big reason why he's still in camp and why he's he's shown as much as he has. I, I think we, we touched on the power play briefly there, but one thing I got to say, I, I really hope that they're not making cut decisions based on what personnel they think can help them on the power play. It's not a personnel issue. It's a fucking strategy issue. I don't think Burroughs has a strategic bone in his body. It seems like they're every single power play is the same thing. Drop pass in the neutral zone. Everybody stand flat-footed at the blue line until the puck carrier gains the line. And then we'll see what happens. It's like there's no... There's no rhyme or reason to it. Toronto last night was just sitting in the diamond and just waiting for them to make a pass that came into one of their, their lanes and get a stick on it and then have one guy chase it down and maybe get into a board battle and, and try to knock it out of the zone. And it was working. Toronto wasn't doing anything special. They were just sitting in that diamond all night long and the Habs couldn't do anything yet. They were dominant at five on five. So I think it's a strategy issue, not a personnel issue. If they're hanging yeah. on to Logan Mayu, Matias Norlander, whoever, thinking, oh, this guy's the answer on the power play, they might be. 
but not unless you change the strategy, right? We saw against Toronto when they had the extra skater out at the end of the game and they were trying to score. Logan Mayu actually got two pretty decent opportunities all on his own to shoot. And he has a ridiculous shot, but he sailed them both uh, over the net and hit the glass. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not for me a personnel issue on the power play. It's absolutely a strategy issue. Yes, you have the personnel already. The, the question is, how do we restructure this so we can actually get something out of it? Because it's been absolutely atrocious. So far will, will Alex Burroughs <laughs> still be uh, on the coaching staff come next season? I'd fire him right now. <laughs> I was going to say first January. I mean, I mean <laughs> Alex Burroughs has, has made a career. Um, and, and this is, I don't mean to make fun of Alex Burroughs, but I mean, his success in the power play came by passing the puck to the Sedins, hmm. right? So, I mean, well, he should I, be able to pick up some things that the Sedins did right, right? Yeah, get, yeah, get I a think, speed uh, on Nathan, the power play. Nathan said it when we were when we were complaining in the EOTP chat and the other, I think it was the first of the two Toronto games, and I was in there complaining about the power play, and uh, Nathan came in and he said, you know, pass it to Daniel's not really a scheme for your power play, is it? Especially if you don't have Daniel Sedin in the first place. Hey, it was Henrik that always passed it as well, but don't forget that. <laughs> well, there's, there's two Secondary of them. They both look the same and they both share a brain. So, I mean, it's, but, it, you I, know... I, I take either one right now, Pat. But, but, I, fun, I, funny story, though, when I did an, was going to interview Henrik uh, during the World Cup for Eyes on the Prize, uh, I asked some of the other media members, how do I spot the difference between them? And they went like, you look at the sticks. If it says H. Sedin, it's Henrik. <laughs> Man, and, and that's, I, I think that's the main issue. I, I really think that he's got, got this, you know, pedigree from having played on, on such a good power play at one point in his career that maybe this guy knows how to do it. But what I'm seeing on the ice, I, I don't see any adjustments. I see the same thing over and over again. I see it not working. And I, I don't see them being willing to to make any adjustments on that front. So uh, I, I really think they need to sit down and figure that out before they start looking at making personnel decisions based on what could or could not help the power play. Uh, One I mean, thing, though, we're, that we're, we're we have to talk about of... that we haven't spoken about is David Reinbacher coming back to Switzerland and Europe. And I have thought of figured out that this is what they were going to do since I spoke with uh, Steve Kellenberg in, in the captain of Clawton, even if he didn't say it straight out, it was something between the lines. Uh, he, Reinbacher himself, has asked to go back in order to finish school. And what many people that complain about not sending him to Laval right now is sent, is, oh. is, are the same kind of people uh, that um, complained about, you know, keeping Podkanemi uh, or, or, or Slavkovsky around for longer, maybe, than needed. They make a decision, then send him back. He gonna get a ton of minutes in arguably the fourth best league in the world at the moment, uh, the National Liga. And it's also that Laval is stacked. Who would you have on the first pairing in Laval? You, you we assume Logan Mayu is gonna come down, and you want him to play heavy minutes as well, especially both on on the power play, where you want to see David Reinbacher play as well. So having him going to Clawton, a little bit like Adam Engstrom playing in Sweden still, rather than in Laval. You got three players that are eating heavy minutes in three different teams, and that is great for development. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at Laval's defense. You mentioned that. That's, that's a really good point, because they have Nicolas Baudin already in, in Laval. They have Baudin, Bisson, Struble, Trudeau. They have Tourigny. Uh, they have Keeper. 
they have these other guys are just already in Laval. I mean, Keeper has to clear waivers. He's on waivers right now as we're recording this. Um, but then you also have at least two of Baron Mayu Norlander, at least two of those who will go down. Like where where do you find minutes for all the all these guys? It, it it's not you're not you're not sending Rhinebacker to the ECHL. You're not sending Norlander to the ECHL. You're not sending, no. you know, um, guys like that. They have uh, Olivier Gallipo too, who's who's an AHL player. Um, like they they have a lot of bodies there, and I think that sending Reinbacher back to to Switzerland, where he's going to get top minutes, he's out of the spotlight. Like people aren't going to look at every single game he plays and be like, because people, let's let's face it, if he was in Laval, people wouldn't watch Laval games. They would look at the the box score, be like. Why did he not get any points? <laughs> right? Like that, that's that's what they that's what they would do. And there's no time on ice, so you don't see that part. Like, you know, you're gonna see zero points and a minus one, be like, oh, he's a bust. Right? That's what people would do in Laval. Let's be honest here. Yep. Uh and and you know, well, they will just, do the same with Clotten, though. They they will, but less less eyes, right? Less expectation. Right? He was there last year, they know kind of what to expect, and I think he'll probably perform better there too. Um, than he would in Laval. Like he's going to be, uh, I you know, th- there's a lot of talk about him being like on that, the the, the same kind of, um, you know, what what are the names we heard before the draft or after the draft? It was uh, Yossi, um, Cider, guys that took big jumps in their draft plus one year, right? Um, Cider was even that, draft plus two, right? Yeah, that, ex- exactly, right. So it's it, it, it those guys are going to be kind of like the benchmark and, and let him go where he's comfortable, like. Just let him be a 18-year-old under like I, I love this. I, I personally love it. Like they couldn't really do it with Slavkovsky because he didn't really have a contract <laughs> anywhere in Europe. Um you could loan him, but it, it's it's tricky, right? Now he's going to Reinbacher's going to a place, he's comfortable, he he knows what to expect. The team is expecting him to do big things. Um he's probably gonna be you know on, on their top pairing. Uh correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, but I'm pretty sure oh, he's he be will there. be on the top yeah, pairing. Top top power play. Like he's gonna be a guy that's gonna be leaned on. Um, his teammates already appreciate him, right? Like he, he's he's going to go there and and have a really good time uh, and and just develop out of the spotlight. You know, there's going to be highlights here and there of things he does, and and you're going to be you know watching him very closely and and writing EPRs, and you won't have to write about Adam Engstrom all the time anymore. Um, yeah. But it's, it's going to be a lot of. I think this is a great move, and I love that they did it so early that we're not asking this question into next week, and yeah. and just send him yes. back. You know, there's no question of whether he's going to be in the NHL or not. No question whether he's going to be Laval. We're going to send him down, even though it was done like at 11 o'clock at night uh, or 10 o'clock at night. Uh, it's fine. Get it out of the way. Get it done. And people wake up on Sunday and realize he's not there anymore. He can also act as yeah. a mentor for Vincent Rohrer, who just plays down the road from him. So, you know, you get to, you kill two birds with one stone, basically. Uh, you know, Vincent Rohrer is back in, in uh, Switzerland to play. And he's playing for Zurich, and uh, yeah, it's a regional regional rival rivalry with Clotten, but it's just good if uh, you know you have someone going through the same thing as you are. It's just a it's it's a catch twenty two for the Habs every time with a top draft pick. <laughs> Either they keep them right and they play them NHL or AHL, and if they don't immediately crush it, the whole fan base goes, "You rushed him, and you shouldn't have done that. You should have let him go cook for another year." Now this time. Because they're not expecting and they, they're not, you know, relying on him to come up and immediately start playing big minutes in the NHL. And so they send him back to Europe. They don't decide to put him in Laval. 
And everybody's going, well, what the fuck? What, why are we not giving him a shot this year? He looks like he might be ready. And it's like, again, it's a catch 22 for the Habs. Whatever they do, there's always going to be a wrong. second fan base <laughs> that's going to say that was the wrong decision. And I think for once they've, they've actually done it right here. I think that you're not, you're not expected by anybody to make the playoffs. If they did somehow sneak into the playoffs, it would be a big surprise, right? So as such, you should look at it as anybody who has the opportunity to develop somewhere other than the NHL. It's it's not a bad thing to let them do that. And that's what they've done here. And I, I think it makes perfect sense. I would have liked to maybe see, I'll say the same thing that I said for Hua and Beck. I would have liked to maybe see him get one more game uh, before they send him back to Europe, but uh, I'm not. I'm not against the decision overall. I think the big thing is, you know, people only look at development being wrong when it doesn't work out. Right? <laughs> like no, no, no one, no one looks at Nick Suzuki and be like, oh, the Canadians really, really did well in their development there, right? No, no nobody does that. Uh, nobody looks at Keaton Gooley and be like, oh, the Canadians really aced Gooley's development, right? No, they just look at like Slavkovsky and Galchenyuk and Kokkinen and be like, oh, they messed up. They messed yeah. up. Like they, they don't know how to develop. Um, half their team last year was developed <laughs> and, and played in the NHL last year. You know, Jordan Harris is, is another example of that. Like, there, there's just so, so many guys that they they did well with development, and nobody, nobody, like Arbor Arbor Jacka is a good example, right? Like, he, he was he was brought in late. He was a late bloomer, but he still spent his last year in junior, um, under the Canadians' tutelage, right? Like, he was he was with the Canadians, um, for the entire season makes the NHL right out of junior and the Canadians get zero credit. They're like, Oh yeah. They, everyone was expecting him to go to AHL. He goes to the NHL performs probably better than expected. And that that's the thing with development and, and drafting is like, nobody, nobody cares if you get it right. They only care if you get it wrong. Right. Like, and, and, and that's the thing with, with Ryan Backer. Like if he comes back next year, makes the NHL knows with, Oh, the Canadians, there's a lot of credit for sending him to Clutton. It'll be whoever is their number, number one pick in 2023. They're going to be like, oh, well, why didn't they do this with him? And, and it'll be a vicious cycle all over again. Or they'll look at Slavkovsky, who's still, you know, if he's not a top-line player by the end of this year, they're like, oh, you really screwed up his development. Um, and, yeah, it, like Matt says, it's a, it's a catch-22, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, you, you, don't um, hear, you don't hear anybody giving the Habs credit for Joshua Roy's development. No, I've <laughs> never heard a single person say, hey, they did a no, good no, job. With not that even kid. Matt Ray and, does that. Uh, hey, that's not true. I have <laughs> I have given them at least a measure of credit, but I like to I like to pump his tires personally for all the work that he put in. But one of the things that he said after his last camp was he said, "Listen, they told me that I need to work on my my two hundred foot game. They've given me a lot of pointers on what I need to do to be better." And then we saw him in that last year in Sherbrooke become a defensive stalwart on the wing. He's shutting teams down. He's playing against top opposition. Goes to the World Juniors, doing the same thing there, shutting people down. Clearly, the Habs had an influence on that, and clearly, and that's, back to junior, giving him time to cook was part of that. And look, I, I think they did a great job with him. And I think Jared, that's an important point that you mentioned there is that we never hear people giving them credit when they do it right. It's always when they do it wrong that's when you hear people the loudest and and pointing at those examples and just saying, "Well, their their development is broken, right?" It's sometimes you got to look at some of those success stories and go, "Hey, well, when they were more patient, that's when it worked." All the good development, thanks to Alex Burrows. Well, there you have it. It is the conclusion that Anton slams home with a wicked wrister from the slot on the power play on a pass from Henrik and uh, Daniel. Obviously, we don't know who's who. Uh, but it's been a pleasure 
to have you guys on. I hope you all enjoyed a very long podcast for being us this time. We'll be back shortly. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. Monday with the bottom six minutes. Oh, well, yeah. We'll have another one after Monday's game. Absolutely. And Jared, uh, the question is, when does the uh, female uh, hockey uh, podcast start? <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out because I don't want to do too many weeks of me just doing nothing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to have, I guess I'll break the news here. We're going to have a Women's Hockey Wednesday podcast um, probably every second week to start. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll try and, and do that. But training camps don't open until November. So probably not until then, I would say, Pat. And you have another project coming up where we preview the different teams on the Atlantic Division. We're looking forward to that. Anton, you have been working the whole uh, episode through. Thank you so much for your input. And everyone out there, enjoy your holiday on Monday. For, and uh, try to remember why it's there. <laughs>